today. We're kicking off our new message series we're calling God's Pursuing Grace, the story of Jonah. And what we want to do over these next five weeks is, yes, look at the story of Jonah, but I want us to really be opening our Bibles together in church and outside of church because our pastors are here to help guide you, but we can't be with you, obviously, every day. And would be so great just to be able to read our Bibles together. So I want to do that with us today. So if you have your Bible, uh, turn to Jonah chapter 1. If you don't have any bi- a Bible with you, If you go in our racks in the back, go right now. No one's going to judge you. We have Bibles ready to go. And if you don't know where Jonah is, where a lot of times I don't know where the Bible, the books are specifically all the time, I'll just go to the front, the contents, look for Jonah. And then for me, it's 746 in my Bible. So grab one back there. Uh, If you have your phones, I have mine too. One of the easiest ways to get Jonah, let me tell you two ways. If you go to our app, the chapel app, and you open it, you may have to uh, refresh it if you haven't opened it in a little while. You click the Bible right there in the middle. It's going to take you to the YouVersion app, and it's going to open right to Jonah 1. We have that programmed in there for you. Or maybe the easiest, easiest way, if you go to your web browser, and you type in Jonah, J-O-N-A-H, 1, and then if you put in N-L-T, that is the New Living Translation, which is the translation we use at the chapel, you'll click, it'll go to Bible Gateway, and then you'll see it right here, and then you can read along with me. Because I'm not going to put it on the screen, but I will read it out loud. So follow along with me in your Bible and your uh, phone or whatever, and then uh, I will read it out loud, and you can follow along with me as well. So let me read Jonah chapter 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. He said, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the complete opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm came down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What's your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and all the land. Well, the sailors, they were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to to you to stop the storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. And I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors, they rowed even harder to get the ship to the land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, uh, Lord Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked up Jonah, threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. 
Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. So what we want to do from the beginning here is I want to address the elephant in the room, or should I say the whale in the room? All right, awesome. When we were writing that joke this week, I told the pastors, I said, it's either going to be really funny or there's going to be silence. You gave silence. Thank you so much. But really, you read that story. It's an incredible story. We're going to unpack that story. And I can't wait to show you some things in it that I didn't even recognize. So I started to study it. But when you get to the end and you're like, okay, I can see these things happening. And then the dude ends up in the belly of this fish. Come on. So you would think probably two things. One, children's story. Like, oh, it's so cute. My kids, they like Jonah. They know exactly what's going to happen when it goes in the whale. Or... You would say, I kind of buy everything, but I don't know if I can buy this great fish story. Now, I am like you. I am a skeptic at heart. You tell me something, I will believe you at face value, and then I need to go research it for myself. And when it comes to the belly of a whale and a person being in it, if you're skeptical, you are right on the money, and I understand that. But I want to unpack this just to think a little bit differently about this fish. So in the Mediterranean Sea, there are two animals that could potentially swallow a human. Uh, The first one is a great white shark. We know what happens with them, so that's probably not going to work out. Or there is a huge whale called a sperm whale, and these whales get up to 62 feet long, or 20 yards, which if you think of it that way is unbelievable, You look at this elephant, and the elephant is so big, but compared to this whale, it's very small. And you see this little diver underneath, and of course, the person could definitely be swallowed up in a whale. But maybe I'm still not convincing you. I'm still not convinced. So I had to process this. Could this really happen? If you look at Scripture... And you look at all that God has done in Scripture, and you know his character. And you realize, yes, we have five senses, and we evaluate everything through those five senses. But could there be a God who is bigger than us, who is bigger than our natural understandings of things? It could be supernatural. That could do some amazing things like send a whale to somebody so that they would not die and drown. Could it happen that way? Well, I look in scripture and I see lots of things happening that way. I mean, I see the walls of Jericho falling down. I see a guy walking on water. I see dry bones coming to life, the blind given sight, the Red Sea parting, the conversion of Saul on the road to Damascus. But the most important miracle is Jesus rising from the dead. Is it possible that God cares so much about people that he will reach in and put his touch on things so that people recognize who he is and how much he loves them? Is it possible? When I read uh, a little bit of Eric Metaxas' book on miracles, he said this about miracles. He goes, if miracles exist at all, they exist not for their own sake, but for us. Why? To point us towards something beyond or to someone beyond. 
In other words, why wouldn't God send a whale or a huge fish to swallow Jonah so he doesn't die, so that Jonah can live again and get a different, more of a chance to really serve God and get a second chance at life? Of course God can do that. And you know what? When you and I, if we really pause for a moment, get out of our phones, get out of the craziness of life, and we look at what life is really about, and we see these coincidences. You see these right here, right? Coincidences. Things big and small that have happened in our lives to bring us to certain people or to bring us into situations or get us out of situations or lead us to the job that we're at or lead us to the location that we live in right now. Things that you can see and you can say, wow, how could that have happened that way? And let me tell you, friends, those are just things that you see. Imagine all the things that you haven't seen, this God who's behind the scenes doing so many things to make sure that you don't drown. Could it happen? Of course it could. Why? Because God will do whatever it takes to bring you and I to himself. He will do whatever it takes. And let me tell you, the whale, it's a big deal. But when you look at Jonah 1, that is just one little thing that God does in Jonah's life to continue to bring him back to himself. And if you are here today, I don't care how far away you've strayed from God whether it's miles away or even just inches away, wherever you are, God is at work in your life to do whatever it takes, and I mean whatever it takes, to bring you to himself. And I want to show you through the life of Jonah. So what we're going to do is we're going to go back to the beginning. I want to walk you through who he is, why he's doing what he's doing, and ultimately what happens when he takes a U-turn in his life. So first of all, I want to look at God's call on Jonah's life. We see the first two verses. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and do what? Go to the great city of Nineveh. Why is he going to do that? Well, God says, I want you, Jonah, to announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Now, we learn right away that Jonah is a prophet. A prophet simply is somebody who's been chosen to be, by God to be God's mouthpiece. God does not come down from the heavens and use a microphone to shout at us, but we see in Scripture he oftentimes uses people, specifically in the Old Testament prophets, to be his spokesperson. Now, it sounds really cool, like, wow, that's a great job. Go and speak for God. But for Jonah, his task of all tasks is to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Syria is one of the nastiest, most brutal countries in history. And Jonah is called to go there, not to hang out with these people and be friends with them. They are, he is to go to announce God's judgment on these really wicked people. It would be like you and I getting chosen in the early 30s to go to Berlin, Germany, stand on the corner of the street and shout at the Nazis that they deserve God's judgment as they do what they do to the Jews. That puts it in perspective, doesn't it? It's scary. You and I, if we woke up, we heard this, we would freak out and we would run away. 
And that's exactly what Jonah does. He hears this. He realizes, I got to go to Nineveh. Speak your judgment to these people? No way. So he gets up and goes in the complete opposite direction to get away from the Lord. And he went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Do you see twice in the, just in one verse that Jonah is just trying to run away from God. He does not want God to lead his life. And to see what measures he would go to get away from God, let me show you this map. If you look at A, that's where he was, and he went down just a little bit to Joppa to get on a boat, and then he was supposed to go northeast to Nineveh, 500 miles northeast. He wants to go all the way to Spain in Tarshish. I mean, talk about the opposite direction and where he's supposed to go. Now, I would love to sit down and ask Jonah, why in the world did you do this? There's probably many reasons. If I had to guess his justifications, why? It's that he didn't like God's call in his life. He didn't trust God that what he could do in and through him, and that's why he went this way. One of those reasons is that he did not like the Ninevites. Honestly, at the beginning of it, he's a racist. He thinks he's better than them. He thinks he is called to a different standard than them. And so he does not want to go there. He thinks, why would I go to somebody that I think doesn't deserve God's blessing? Or he may have said, oh my goodness, what if for some reason I go there, there's no way they're going to listen to me, one in a million shot, I go there, I announce God's judgment, what if they actually repent? What if they actually hear this and actually want a relationship with God? What is that going to look like? Teaser, chapter three, they do turn, by the way. But let me tell you, he didn't want to go because of that possibility. I don't know why he exactly did what he did, but all I know, in the end, he did not want God to lead his life. And he wanted to go in the complete opposite direction. Sound familiar? Every day, when you and I wake up, we have a choice We either go to Nineveh or we get on a boat and head to Tarshish. We either trust God with what he's asking us to do or what he's asking us to become or what he's asking us to give up. And we have a chance to trust him. And many a times, instead of saying, okay, God, even though this is going to be tough, I'm going to trust you and believe you. A lot of times we run, get on a boat, and go as far away from God as we can. It's not a location thing, it's a heart thing. And many of us do that. That's why God will do whatever it takes to bring us back to him. Whether you have been following God for a long time and you've barely strayed from the path, he'll do whatever it takes to get you back. If you've called yourself a Christ follower and you have just gone way west and you want to completely run away from God, he will do whatever it takes to bring you back to him. That's how much he loves you. But let me tell you, oftentimes he will do whatever it takes to bring you back to him, but it doesn't always feel good. Sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes it affects other people in your life when he does it. But it's because he loves you. And we see that in Jonah's life. Watch what happens. 
we see it right away that God's grace is getting his attention. He says, The Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. This day, these sailors were ready just to go to Tarshish. It was a normal voyage for them. They get on the boat. They head west. All of a sudden, they probably see some dark clouds ahead and thinking, oh, we're professional sailors. We can go through any storm. No big deal. Especially on the Mediterranean, it gets really, really windy and stormy. But they're professional. They can work through it. Not this storm. It hit them so hard, they were petrified that they were going to die. There are storms, and then there are storms, and this was one of them. But what's interesting here is the Lord allowed the storm to come. He sent it to them to get Jonah's attention. Now, think about your life for a moment. I think all of us have in common that we have storms in our lives, and let me tell you, I just want to recorrect or correct one thing. I oftentimes hear, man, God is causing this to happen in my life. And I would say to you, yes, it's possible. But it may not necessarily be God. There are three different storms that happen in our lives. The first one is that we live in a broken world. We live with broken desires. We see that things don't end the way we want it to, meaning things end in death. We look at this world and we are just confronted with that constantly. And those are some of the storms that we deal with, living in a broken world, not living the way that we're called to live. Those storms come about. That's one kind of storm. The other storm would be the storms that you and I cause. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty prideful, pretty selfish. I can hurt a lot of people. And if I'm not careful, I will cause a rift in my marriage or a rift at work or a rift in my friendships or I'll hurt my kids and then I will take the easy way out to blame God. God was telling me to be quiet and I spoke. God was telling me to be kind and I got angry. God was telling me to listen and I spoke. Those kinds of storms that then affect other people, that's not God's fault, that's mine, that's Ours And some of us are in storms because of our own selfishness. But there are storms that God allows to happen that when he sees you going west, when you should be going east, he will allow to happen to guide you back. How do you know it's God for sure? Well, I can't tell you 100% sure, but I'll give you 85% chance that this is from God. How do you know? You look beyond the storm and you see if that storm is bringing you back to him. If you see the hardship is an opportunity for us to go back to God because we've strayed in some way, I can guarantee you that is the power of grace behind that storm. He caused the storm not to hurt the sailors, not even to hurt Jonah. He caused the storm to say, Jonah, you're going the wrong way. And I have to do something radical in your life to wake you up. When God allows those storms to happen in your life, don't run from them, embrace them. Because there's a loving God behind it who wants to bring you back to him. But Jonah, well, it didn't really get his attention, so God had to go a different route. And part of God's grace is using others 
to confront us. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods. They worshipped multiple gods. They didn't care. As long as one of them heard them, they could appease one of those gods. Just whoever is in charge of the weather, please help us. And so they're begging this God, whoever that is, to stop the storm. They were throwing cargo overboard to lighten the ship. They were desperate. And all these things are happening. And here's John. He is asleep in the boat. I don't know if he took Dramamine before he got on the boat. I am not sure how he slept. But you can tell he did not want to be awake for this. And so the captain went down after him. He says, how in the world can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted, get up and pray to your God. Whoever that God is, pray to him. We need as much help as we can get. Because maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. I was in this conversation with a good friend one time, and this friend is a very well-mannered guy, real chill. I never think he ever gets upset. I mean, it's just rare that I've ever seen him angry. I remember we were in a conversation, and I hit a button. And how I knew I hit a button is his demeanor completely changed. And he looked at me, and with just a scowl on his face, he said, knock it off. You are being such a jerk. And you may say, oh, it doesn't seem bad. But coming from this guy, I thought God was like screaming at me to get my attention. And really he was. I tried to get mad at this guy. It's hard to get mad at this guy. He's just a great guy. And as I wanted to try to be defensive or try to yell back at him, I sat there and I could clearly hear God saying, if you don't stop acting this way, you're going to get on a boat and go the wrong way with your life. And I'm going to use this friend in your life to share with you that you're not living the life you're called to live. And if you don't get off this boat, you're in trouble. And for Jonah, it was a stranger a stranger who, in the midst of this storm, goes down to him and says, Jonah, you need to wake up. And yeah, he was physically asleep, but really there's so many spiritual undertones of this because he wasn't awake to God's call. And I was like, God's throwing these storms at Jonah. It doesn't faze him. So oftentimes, if God can't get a hold of us through a storm, he gets a hold of us through a person. And I'm wondering if there's somebody in your life, maybe some bodies in your life, who've been trying to speak to you. And it may feel really difficult when you hear it, and it may sting your soul because of what they've said, but I wonder if it isn't even them speaking to you, but it's God through them, wanting to confront you, saying, you're going the wrong way with your life. And sometimes, when I say that, it's not like we're going way this way. Sometimes we're supposed to go this, and we're just going this way. But over time, you start just going this way a little bit, you're going to not know how to get back after a while. And God loves to use his people to confront you. Will you listen or will you justify? Will you listen or will you defend? Will you listen or will you blame? Will you listen or will you run away? God likes to use people. Is he using somebody in your life to get your attention? Because he'll do whatever it takes to bring you back to him. Jonah, he... (laughs) He listens to what this guy says, and all of a sudden, he, his conscience starts to fl- flare a little bit. He starts to pay attention to this small voice in his head, because watch. 
Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? They are trying to do whatever it takes. They figure out it was probably Jonah. They want to know what special power that he has. And so he says this, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Why this is important is that Jonah could have lied, but he doesn't. He pays attention to what God's doing in his life, even at that moment, and tells the truth, and then watch what happens. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? And he says, throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will be calm again. Then he says this, I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. He confesses. It's him. And watch what happens. The sailors picked Jonah up, threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stops immediately. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve God. Two things happen. One, Jonah tells the truth. He doesn't justify. He doesn't say, it's probably that weird sailor over there who's not talking. It wasn't him. He said, I'm a Hebrew. I worship Yahweh, the one true God. I'm running away from him. I don't like the call on my life. I don't want him to lead my life. I want to call the shots. I should have gone to Nineveh. I got on a boat, and I went to Tarshish. The reason this storm is here, and the reason that you're almost going to lose your life is because of my disobedience. And what happens is he throws him in the water. We'll get back to Jonah in a moment. What's incredible, the storm stops. And then the sailors turn their attention from the storm to the one that causes it. They see the God behind the storm, and and instead of worshiping all these other gods, they turn to the one true God and want to worship him. The power of confession. There's a lot of things that I don't like to do in my life. One of those things is to confess, especially when it hurts. You and I are wired to lie. We're wired to escape the truth. We're wired to be a victim. We're wired to try to tell half the truth. We're wired to try to get out of consequences. And let me tell you, that will work for a while. But it will not work in the long run, and it's the easy way out. Paula and I, we tell our kids this. If you get in trouble in school, and you don't tell us the truth, you are in so much more trouble than if you would just say, hey, I shouldn't have done this, but I did this. And still, there'll be consequences, but the consequences go way down. For the sailors, their lives completely changed once Jonah admits the truth and confesses. It was the hard thing to do because he didn't know the outcome. He got thrown into the sea, about to die, he thinks. But he does the right thing. There are people in your life right now who have storms that you've caused in their life that the only way the storm will calm down is if you look them in the eye and you say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me, and I love you. Twelve of the hardest and yet most powerful words you can say to somebody. It's not, I was wrong, I'm sorry, I love you. However, that's where 
your confession wasn't a confession. It was to try to get out of trouble. When you say, no matter the consequences, even if you throw me overboard, I will tell you the truth because I love you and I'm, I'm sorry. I don't want to do this again. Who in your life needs to hear these 12 words? Who in your life has a storm in their life that's raging that would calm down even if you just were to say, I'm sorry? Now, you may say, well, it didn't work out for Jonah. I mean, look what happens. Now, the Lord arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and then Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. So he got thrown overboard. He's about to die, and then all of a sudden, this fish comes around and swallows him. He could have died, but he doesn't die, does he? Why? Because God will do whatever it takes to bring us back to him. God cared so much about Jonah, even though Jonah didn't care about God, that he even arranged this fish to come and save him from his own death. There are things in your life right now that if we don't do something about, we're going to drown. God is willing to give you another opportunity if you will allow him to. Sometimes they're little things, like the prick of our conscience. Sometimes it's a person's word. Sometimes it's a big thing, like a storm or a, or a confession or, in this, in this thing, a whale. And this, I mean, this is a big deal. Well, God will do whatever it takes to bring it back to him. So I was, I was working on this message, and I stopped. I said, okay, what are the things in my life that God has done to spare me of my own death? And not a physical death, but a spiritual, an emotional, relational death. I have 50, I'll give you five. I have a beautiful girl that I will not call a fish. That's for sure. My wife. When she encourages me, no matter what else happens in the world, I float. But if she says something hard to me, especially when it's true, she confronts me, there's nothing that hurts worse. But there's also nothing better for me as well. Because when she says something, I know she's prayed about it. I know it's hard for her to say it. And I know that, that God is speaking through her. And boy, does it hurt. You can ask her, I want to justify. I become a victim a lot. I turn the tables. I do all these things. But boy, when I am just able to listen to what God has to say through her, it is like God is rescuing me from an impending death that I don't even see coming. I'm reading this book right now. It's called Unoffended. It's not even a word in the dictionary. Guy made it up. <laughs> Un, and then, of course, the word offended. He claims in this book that you can live a life where you're not offended. And we live in offended culture. We get mad about everything. Little things, big things. Put it on social media all the time. We are always upset at something or someone. And he claims in this book, that you don't have to live that way. Pastor Todd and I were standing at the coffee uh, maker one day, and one of our staff members came up and said, you should read this. And I said, ooh, I, what are you trying to tell me? Are you trying to tell me I'm an angry person? She's like, no, 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 I think we should actually share it with the church someday. And I'm like, yeah, I know what you're trying to say right here. But it truly was a fish. It, it was something swallowing me, because I started to read it, and I realized that the anger underneath of who I am can dissipate if I do some hard work. And I'm not perfect. And I mess up a lot. 
but I'm really trying to live an unoffended life. That was God's grace. That was God seeing, you have an anger problem, and I will do whatever it takes, even this random book you've never heard of, to address an issue in your life. I have a friend who, he's just a safe place for me. He's a leader in the community. He and I, we get each other. And I was hanging out with him last night, and I can tell him anything, and he gets it, and he listens. That, to me, is grace. Paul and I, we have our, our, these friends that are a little bit older than us, and they have a really good marriage, and we want to be like them. And Paul and I, over the last couple of even weeks and months, we got in this cycle that it's hard to sometimes get out of, and we needed help. And we called our friends, and they had us over for dinner, and they just shared with, with us some of the things that they see in our marriage. And they want us to do a right now media study and how we can get out of this cycle. And we are, we're going to go to the marriage conference as well. We see these things as lifelines, as God using these fish to come around to make sure that our marriage doesn't even drown. And finally, next Monday at 9 a.m., I'll be driving to Bellevue because I have a counseling appointment. I see a counselor, have to. I've been depressed, I've had anxiety. God's helped cure me of some of that, but I still go down some pretty dark paths in my life. I need someone outside of my wife, someone outside of my friends, someone outside of the church that can listen to me and tell me I'm not crazy. That has been a fish that has helped me from drowning. If you were to come up to me and randomly say, how have you seen God at work in your life? It would be hard for me to come up with those five, but they're so true and there's so many more. There are so many times that we say, God, where are you? And we blame things on God when God the whole time is sending things along of our ways to bring us back to him. That's all he cares about. When you and I drift and when we go the wrong way, he will do whatever it takes to bring us back to him. What are those things in your life that God is trying to use to get a hold of you so you don't go to Tarshish, so you can go to Nineveh and do and be who God has called you to be? He'll do whatever it takes to get a hold of you. Thank you, God, for being that kind of God. Let's pray together. Father, we are so needy of you. There have been so many times when I've got on boats and gone west when I should have gone northeast or wherever I'm supposed to go. In my attitude, in my emotions, in my relationships, in my eating, in my anger, in my marriage, in so many things. And you are faithful to bring me back to you. Does it feel good? No. But is it love? Yes. God, I ask that our friends that are gathered here this morning would see you in their lives, that they, you are at work in ways that they can see and can't see. Help them know that you will do whatever it takes to bring us to you. Thank you for being that kind of God to Jonah, but especially to us today. We pray in your name. Amen.